Well, good morning, everyone. If you're here in the auditorium or if you're in the cafe, glad that you made it through the winter. That's fantastic. And it is Sunday, which means it's always snowing on Sunday. At least that's been true for this winter. And uh, my name is Ryan. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And what we're doing today is we're going to close up this series we've been in for the last few weeks called Jealousy the Good Kind. And uh, what we said is that jealousy is never seen as a good thing. Right? In our culture, nobody looks and says, I want to be a jealous person. Uh, nobody's excited about that. And in general, our culture would look at jealousy and say, if I'm a jealous person, right, it's going to be a weakness. It's a character flaw. It's, it's actually going to be something that's seen as an insecurity. And we said, that's never going to be something that's going to be desirable. And nobody wants to be that way. We looked a little bit further and we said, well, what does the Bible have to say about jealousy? And we said, the picture doesn't get much better. Right? Jealousy is seen not as an emotional problem or a, an instability or an insecurity. It's seen as a sin. Right? It's seen as a moral issue. It's right and wrong at that point. And so jealousy continues to be seen as a negative thing. And we really looked at that over the last few weeks. And as we continue to dive into what the Bible has to say about jealousy, we ran into an actual problem with the Bible in some ways. Here's what I mean by that. Well, the Bible says that jealousy is wrong. It's sinful. Uh, it's something that should not show up in my character, yet at the same time, we're faced with the fact that the Bible talks about our God as a jealous God. And so we said, that's a, a problem. How do we deal with that? The fact that God is jealous, and yet we are told not to be jealous. We unpacked that over the last few weeks, and we said, there's more to the story. There's more to the equation. There's actually a couple different kinds of jealousy and we looked at a few of those kinds, and we said one of those kinds of jealousy is bad. And that's typically what we think of when we think of jealousy, right? We think of longing to have someone else's possessions or relationships. Um, we think of, of coveting and envy probably into that kind of that camp of bad jealousy. Well, we said there's another kind of jealousy, the good kind. And with the good kind of jealousy, here's how that works. Uh, the good kind of jealousy is relational, and when I'm in a committed and a defined relationship with someone, and someone begins to drift from that relationship, from their heart, their heart kind of falls away to something else, the other party would be filled with zeal or jealousy for their heart, the other person is to be reconnected back into that relationship. We said in a marriage relationship, that makes a ton of sense. Right? When somebody drifts from that relationship as we've committed and defined it, I'm, I'm jealous. I have a zeal for that person's heart to recommit and reestablish in relationship the way it's designed to be. That kind of jealousy, the good kind, is the kind of jealousy that God has for us. And we, we actually unpacked that over the last few weeks. And guys, if you missed those messages over the last two weeks, I'd encourage you to get caught up online. And what we said is basically this, that we have been created by Jesus to be in relationship with him. That's what we're designed to do. So he, he, as our creator, invented us, created us, and he wants to be in relationship with us. We, at times, would drift from that relationship and really chase after other things. And when we do that, what that causes is that kind of invokes or causes God's jealousy for our hearts. He longs to see our hearts drawn back into the relationship the way that he has committed uh, and defined it to be. We said when my heart is chasing after something else at the level where we're talking about interacting with God, we called that last week idolatry. Idolatry. And just in a quick review, here's what we said about idolatry. We said, here's idolatry as a practice. It's when I offer a level of devotion 
to someone or something that should only be reserved for God. When I offer a level of devotion to someone or something that should only be reserved for God, what do I do to correct that? Here's what we said. We said, what I need to do when I find myself drifting from, drifting from the heart to something other than Jesus, at least at that level, what I need to do is I need to kind of snap back into that relationship and reconnect and make sure that that is established the way that Jesus has defined it to be. Because here's what Jesus would say about that level of our life. We talked about that from the bookshelf last week. We said that we cannot serve two masters or two gods. The human heart only has room for one God. We have to choose who that God is going to be, and then we need to interact in that relationship the way Jesus has defined it to be, and here's how he's defined it. He says, I don't want you just to love me. I want you to love me the most. I want to be kind of on your top shelf and your highest priority, and we covered all of this kind of last few weeks. Catch that online if you missed any of that. Otherwise, uh, we're going to kind of drive this conversation through, and here's what we want to see is that as I begin to embrace God's jealousy for me, as I connect in relationship with Jesus and we get all that corrected, where does that begin to take me now? That, that actually is going to lead me somewhere, even beyond just my personal relationship with Jesus. It's going to lead me somewhere else, and what I want to do is trace someone's story who embraced God's jealousy for him connected in a relationship it was defined to be, and I want to see where that took him, and we're going to kind of bring this series to a close today and land it where I think God would have us land it. So what we're going to look at is the story of the Apostle Paul. Paul is a neat guy. He's an amazing guy. I really admire him personally, probably one of my uh, personal heroes. And this guy, he's the kind of guy that whatever he's going to be focused on, he's going to focus on with all of his heart. He's like the laser-focused guy that's going to be passionate about whatever he's doing. And so he's going to live during the time of Jesus. He's going to be a kind of a contemporary of Jesus. He's a Pharisee, a religious leader of the time in Judaism. And, and he was a young guy advancing in Judaism faster than his peers, the Bible says. His story kind of is, is kind of spread out all throughout the New Testament. So I'm going to tell it just in story form. As, as he began to embrace that, there was a drivenness. Uh, about his pursuit of uh, Judaism. It was uh, beyond just a a hobby or something that he did with his life. It was almost an obsession. And we can say that probably that energy that went towards Judaism and being a Pharisee and pursuing religious excellence was not driven out of love for Paul at this time. As a young man, as he was violently driven, what he would do is he would chase down religious excellence and During the time of Jesus, Jesus was living and he was causing the church to come into being. As he died, uh, was buried, rose from the grave and ascended, the church began to explode. Uh, The apostle Paul's right next to him. He's in Judaism. He would have been jealous of the growth of the church. He would have persecuted followers of Jesus, even to the point of approving of one of their stonings. He would have approved of one of them being put to death. He pursued all of that. Not out of love, not out of love for even for God, but out of selfish ambition, out of anger, out of a, a violent kind of drivenness that really looked more like idolatry than anything else. Now, Jesus, I believe, was jealous for Paul, and in an amazing event, it plays out in the book of Acts chapter 9, Paul would, inter- Paul would interact directly with Jesus, and Jesus would show up to him, and he would speak to him, and actually, Jesus blinded him temporarily, 
And Jesus in that moment would communicate some of his passion for Paul. And in that moment, Paul's life would, it would have exploded because his whole framework for seeing the world and seeing life completely changed in that moment. He realized that he couldn't chase down what he had been chasing with all of his heart and all of his energy. He'd been running down the wrong road in the wrong direction, and he had to switch gears. He had to embrace the very Jesus that he had been persecuting. He had to embrace and advance the very church that he'd been trying to destroy. He fell in love with Jesus, and this relationship would become so passionate uh, that actually that relationship would define Paul's entire being. Let me show you what I mean. There's a verse here in Philippians, a few of them that I think uh, kind of encompass this change in Paul's life and in his mind. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, here's what Paul says. If you guys have Bibles, you can turn there. You can just listen along. Uh, Here's kind of what's happening. Paul, in retrospect, looking back at his journey Uh, of looking back at his journey in Judaism and where he's come from now in light of his relationship with Jesus, here's what he would say. Philippians 3, 7, he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, uh, but that which is through faith in Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul would look back at his former life and his former way of life of pursuing religious excellence, chasing down almost idols in that process, and he would say, all that I would have gained in that pursuit, right? All of the respect and the accolades and the financial gain and the community esteem and the respect that he would have gotten. He would have been looked at as a leader in his community and he would have been respected by the the people, both young and old, all around him. He would have looked all that he gained in that process, all the knowledge and all the pieces that would have driven him. And he would say, in light of knowing Jesus, this is all garbage. It's trash. The, The actual word is feces, frankly. I would look back and see all of this as as a total loss. It pales in comparison to what I now have in my pursuit and my relationship with Jesus. He furthers the conversation this way. He says, I want to know Christ, verse 10. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead, here's what Paul's saying. I want to know Jesus. I want to experience him. I mean, I want us to be so connected that I could even, if I could, I would would want to share in his suffering. He says, "I, I want to be so connected that I know him in every level of interaction because, man, we are so connected. And I... I want to begin to, as I begin to get a hold of the zeal and the passion that Jesus has for me, I want to begin to reciprocate that back to Jesus And I want to have the same passion for him that he has shown for me. So much so that I would even be willing to share in his sufferings. It's interesting. We've got, uh, my wife and I, we've got four kids. And uh, the first, our first child when they were born, uh, Uriah is his name. It's quite a story for us. So here's kind of how it played out. We wanted to have a, a natural 
delivery. That was Lori's plan. That was a great plan, you know? And I was like, honey, I'm pretty sure this plan hurts. And I, there's medicine so that you don't have to do it this way, right? And she's like, no, I'm committed. She wanted to be full blow, natural. And, and so long story short, I'll kind of tell you the end and then we'll move back into it. We wanted to go natural. We actually ended up getting a C-section in the end. But as we zoom into the story, here's what happened. And this is so fun. Like if you're a, a parent or if you have had children, you know how this whole thing's work. So Lori's water broke in the middle of the night, and, uh, and I'm pretty stressed out, like, want to be a super husband, you know? So I've got, like, the bags all pre-packed, and uh, we're ready to go. So the water breaks, and I'm like, hey, let's go, let's do this, let's get you to the hospital right now, grab the bag, get her in there, let's move it on, and we're going to get you to the hospital, right? And in the back of my mind, my only goal is really this, personally. I'm like, my goal is just to not pass out, right? If I cannot pass out in the hospital room, that would be fantastic. I heard about some of my other friends that had gone down. I'm like, I will not pass out. I will stay conscious, I hope. And so that was kind of my goal going into it. I'm getting us into the hospital. Uh, and it's all so surreal. You know, you've been waiting for nine months, and then like the day finally comes. And, and how do you actually prepare as a husband? How do you actually prepare for a human being to come out of your wife's body? Right? There's no real preparation for that. No one knows what they're doing. And so you show up at the hospital. We get checked in. It's all, you know, adrenaline. It's crazy. She's going to have this natural birth. That's the plan. And so the first, like, four or five hours are phenomenal, right? We're lighthearted. There's worship music in the background. We bought it. You know, we, brought, we had it in the bag, and we prepped all this plan. had it written out. We're psychotic. There's issues, <laughs> you know? And, and uh, we're, we're worshiping. And then we made it about five hours, and then uh, it starts to get a little bit harder, you know? And so Lori's like, honey, turn that music off now. I'm like, yes, dear, whatever you want. And, you know, they teach you how to breathe, the whole Lamaze class thing. And Lori's like... I'm not doing the breathing thing. I, instead, this is, so, this is so my wife. She's like, instead, I'm going to sing through it. I'm going to sing through the track. I'm like, you're going to sing through the contractions. Uh-huh. So instead of doing the, she does the, which is fine and all that she wants to sing, but it wasn't enough for her to sing. She's like, you sing too. And I'm like, yes, dear, whatever you tell me to do. And it wasn't just enough for me. It was anybody who comes in the room, you all need to sing. Everyone's singing with me through these contractions. So we're all, whoo, 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 through every contraction. And, right, and then, so it starts to get more and more intense. And the hours start to drag by. And if you guys have ever done this before, here, here's how it works. If you haven't, every contraction takes your full concentration, you know, you're watching the little monitor and the little thing go up and down as, as kind of you go up this big hill and then it comes down. You know, and there's a, a ton of pain playing out. You know, and you're focused on, uh, I was focused on my bride and, and it's so intense uh, and so incredible. And what began to happen is she got stuck and the baby was turned and we weren't, weren't able to progress in, in labor. And so we're stuck at like a seven for 12 hours. It's kind of like all night long things playing out. And slowly, uh, your emotional reserves and your energy, man, it just drains out of you. And she's getting tired, and I'm getting tired, and mom's getting tired who's in there with us. And we're, we're, we're all kind of coming undone a little bit, you know? And we're just tired. My mom and I are in there helping Lori as she's laboring on, and we're getting tired of watching her suffer, and it begins to build in you. And, and as a husband, man, I just want to fix it, you know? I'm like, I want to jump in and rescue this thing. Guys, you can relate. 
I'm like, just take the drugs, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> I'm thinking that, but I didn't say it at that point, you know? And I just remember thinking, if I could just, if I could just take this on for her and suffer, I didn't really want to, but, I, but if I could, you know, if it was at least an option, if, if I could join into that suffering with her or at least share some of it, you know? Maybe I could take like half and we could do some together. That would be amazing. And seriously, as it got so intense, I remember they gave us, for some reason, they gave us these tennis balls. I think it was like to rub her back or something. I had the tennis ball for myself. I was actually squeezing it underneath the table to, to keep myself together emotionally. Because I was coming undone. I was coming undone. And I, and I wanted to do whatever I could to, to, if I could join into her suffering with her. And I, I, would, I would do it. I would have done it at that moment. Husbands, you know how this works. You would too. Guys, I think this is what Paul is talking about when he says, I, I want to, to share in the sufferings of Jesus. He's saying, we're so connected. I love you so much. I, w- I, wish, I, I wish I could bear some of the burden that you own. I wish I could carry some of it with you. When if it's overwhelming and when there's anguish and when there's pain, I wish I could join into that with you. Now, I think Paul, in many ways, was able to do that. One of the slices of sharing in Christ's sufferings that I want to highlight for us today revolves around our conversation for today and our focus. In Romans chapter 9, here's what Paul says. You can probably just listen to this one. Here's what he says. Verse 2 of chapter 9, Romans. Uh, He says, I have great sorrow... Great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. For, uh, for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. And he talks about them a little bit. He says, there's the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. There's the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah. He says, all these things, these are my people that I know, that I grew up with, that that had so many things given to them that would point them directly to Jesus. Here's what Paul was saying. He says, I have this anguish and this great sorrow in my heart. And what he would begin to have happen in his own heart and in his own soul is this. As he began to be more and more connected to Jesus in relationship, he would begin to see life from Christ's perspective. He would begin to see what Jesus sees in some ways and begin to understand the burdens that Jesus bears. And he would begin to see the people in his life the way that Jesus sees them. And as Jesus would be able to see that other people's hearts were drawn after other things other than him, what he would begin to see is the jealousy that Jesus has, not just for him, but for the world around him. And here's what Paul would do. In sharing in Christ's sufferings, as he responded to the jealousy that Jesus had for him, he actually joined into God's jealousy for the world around him. Here's what I mean by that. Paul would look at the people in his life, his brothers and sisters, his neighbors, his friends, his co-workers, the people that he adored. And he began to see 
Man, Jesus is brokenhearted for them. He longs for their heart and he wants to be in relationship with them just like he wanted to be in relationship with me. He began to enter into that jealousy and longed to see them come to know Jesus. He longed to see God's will done in their life because he began to care about Christ the way that Christ cared about him. He began to look like Jesus in some ways we could say. Jesus would say this about himself. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, that which was lost. And Paul began to see people and even himself outside of Jesus as someone who would have been lost. And this is a part of of my story I think I need to tell you because um, the word lost makes so much sense to me, Uh, not just in concept, but in experience. Um, some of you know this about me, maybe some of you haven't, but I, I grew up with no connection to Jesus, uh, no religious background. I literally never heard the message of the gospel into deep into my late teens. The idea that Jesus came to, to come and die for our sins was completely foreign to me. I had no concept of it whatsoever, no, no church background. And, and so growing up as a young man, uh, I, there's questions, right, that come to all of us that, that drive us. And those questions, who am I? Now, why am I on the planet? Why should I get out of bed in the morning? Right? Is there purpose to anything that we do? What am I doing here? Those questions began to build a burden and a dull ache in my soul that, that would move me to try to find answers to those questions. And so what I did was, I did what kind of anybody would do. I went and chased down all the answers that my culture gave me to follow. So what did my culture tell me to do? You need to be a good boy. You need to get good grades. You need need to stay out of trouble. Uh, You need to get into a good college. You need to get a good job. You need to make some money. You need to get married. You need to have some kids. Be in good shape. Get into good physical fitness. Be an athlete. Get in the right social circles. Have the right friends. Get a girlfriend. Um, Maybe you need to, whatever you need I would chase down each one of those violently, aggressively. Why? Because I had this ache inside me, a longing. I was looking for something desperately. I was lost trying to find an answer. How am I supposed to live? Where do I find truth? What do I do? Because guys, we all, if you grew up in the church or maybe you had this experience before, here's how this works. If you're a Christ follower today, you know that at the end of the day, if, if everything wrecks in your life, you still have Jesus, right? If everything falls apart, uh, we're going to go to heaven, right? We just have to wait it out. If I am anxious or I have worry or if I am afraid or if I'm scared, I can go to the word of God anytime I want and I can find actual real truth that I can stand on. If I want to know who I am or where I'm going or why I'm on the planet or any other question for that matter, I have an actual book that gives me real substantial truth and answers to those deep questions. Now imagine for a minute that you had none of that. Oh, guys, I felt like I was free-falling, free-falling. I was lost, chasing something, and this dull ache in me was driving me to chase anything I could find to fill that longing. I would have called myself an atheist at that point. 
And it wouldn't be until I found Jesus that I found any satisfaction for that pursuit. I remember when my friend told me about Jesus, I was at a point where um, fr- from all exterior perspective, my life looked like it was, it was intact. Nothing was wrong. There was nothing crashing. I had some, some pain from family stuff. But other than that, I looked like I had it kind of together. And on the inside, I was so desperate that I literally had no reason to get out of bed in the morning. I was so captivated by, I don't even understand why I should function. You guys, I'm about 15 years removed from that now. As I was talking to the Lord about this, he's even prepared to to talk to you about it. I was saying, Lord, man, that is almost a faded memory now of what that life was like. I remember it, but it's, it's so far, feels so far back there that the anguish and the heartbreak that I was in is almost hard to remember. The feeling of being lost was almost hard to remember. Some of us, maybe, you, maybe some of us are even there right now, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. As I'm describing my experience of being lost, you're like, man, that's me. And I would point you to the person of Jesus. Some of us have heard about being lost as a concept, but we have always maybe known Jesus and been exposed to him, and it's hard for us to get our hearts around it. Let me just say this. Jesus, the one who designed life and designed creation and knows how everything's supposed to work, knows the best of the anguish and the heartbreak and the chaos that comes when I try to live life outside of his design. So we have a savior that is locking into that and is jealous for this heart and is heartbroken and compassionate for those who are far from him or who are disconnected from him. When I begin to love Jesus more, I tap into that perspective and I become burdened to see people know Jesus the way that I have come to know Jesus. Here's where Paul would take this next step. Chapter 10 of Romans, verse 1, here is kind of his landing point. It says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, my heart's desire, and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved, that they may be saved. My heart's desire and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Here's what Paul would do. As he got a hold of the reality of where people were and the reality of the jealousy that Jesus has for them, just like he has for him, he began to say, Jesus, would you do for others what you have done for me? Would you extend the passion and the zeal and the jealousy and the longing, the compassion? Would you draw these people into relationship with you the way that you have done that for me? Guys, when we join into God's jealousy, our first response needs to be prayer. It needs to be prayer. You want to hear one of the most amazing things, one of the most mind-blowing things to me as I came to know Jesus was a couple of years into my relationship with Jesus and my aunt, who I'm, I'm close to, she told me this. She said, hey, Ryan, I need you to know this. Uh, my mother, she said, she has a sheet of paper with a bunch of single-space names on it of people that uh, she, she knew didn't know Jesus. And she said, Ryan, I want you to know that your name has been on that piece of paper, and she prayed for you for 20 years. I was blown away. 
20 years. She, I barely know this lady. And she prayed for me for 20 years? As I started to try to unpack that, I looked back at my story and I saw intentional, I think, God, God's movement and shifting in my life where he drew me into relationship with him. Times where my heart broke and this moved and that changed and my eyes were opened and I felt a realization that I have sin that I, I need to have forgiven, a guilt in my conscience, a gratefulness that there might be a God out here. All of this working together and then realizing that that this sweet little lady who I met three times was partnering with a real God to see all this take place in my life. My mind was blown, man. As we join into God's jealousy, our first response should be prayer. Did you know that you have the ability through prayer to partner with an all-powerful God to see lives changed? Did you know that? Did you know that some of the most powerful work that you will ever do, some of the best efforts and some of the most redeeming time spent ever can be actually asking God to work in someone else's heart? Here's what I mean. God can do whatever he wants. Jesus could go in there and blow somebody's heart up and he can change somebody in a moment. He has all the ability in the world to do that. For some reason, he has chosen to cause some of his actions to only play out when we ask. He wants us to come to him and ask that he move. I want you to ask. I want you to come and seek me. I want you to be devoted to prayer. I want you to be as heartbroken for people as I am for people. And in the process, as we join together in burden, in zeal, sometimes in anguish to see lives changed, and we're going to get to know each other more in that process. Because here's how this all plays out. Full circle. I go from being someone pouring my energy into my own thing, my own idolatry. My energy, my focus, my affection, my attention is being drilled down into something other than Jesus. I can respond to that jealousy for me and I can have a corrected relationship with Jesus and I can love him more than anything else and find the satisfaction for my soul that I long to have. It does not stop there. It travels here where I start to take on the burdens that Jesus has for the world and I actually can begin to pour my energy into seeing lives changed, eternities changed for the sake and for the name of Jesus. I go from being somebody that's chasing down my own will to chasing down the very will of God. What if our prayers actually could change a destiny, a future, an eternity, a family, a generation line? What if there's somebody like me in your life, right around us? What if every day there's somebody as lost as me? Guys, I promise if you knew me, 15 years ago, you would have looked at me and said, that guy's never going to accept Jesus. No way. What if there's someone as lost as me right around us? And Jesus is saying, I, I want you to join in with me and I want you to request, join into my jealousy, ask for me to move and I want to move 
I want us to do that together, and I want to see lives changed in that way. As can you imagine what would happen if, if an individual moves through that process? Imagine what happens if a church moves through this process together. What can happen? Oh. Guys, where we want to land this conversation today, I'm going to have the band come out here in a minute. A couple practical places to land. Where do we start? I want us to start this way. Would would you choose and ask God to bring to your mind, we're going to do that here in a minute, three names. That's it. Not a whole page like my aunt. Three names of people that you know need the love and the message of Jesus the way that I did. The way that hopefully you did. Would you choose those three names and when, over the next week would you commit to joining into God's jealousy for them and praying that God would work in their hearts and in their lives? Simply that. Guys, this conversation is going to transition us into what Pastor Jeff was talking about earlier in our, in our series today, our service, where we're going to move into the eye care series, where we're going to delve pretty deeply into this conversation. That's going to kick off at the prayer night. The other practical piece is if you're around for the prayer night, I'd like you to show up for that. And together, begin to pray and ask God to move in the hearts of people around us. Why? This guy's he's as brokenhearted for the people around us, our brothers and sisters and friends and coworkers and family members and the people at the gym and the, as he is for us. And the same passion and zeal that he would look at us and have, he would look at the world and have that. And he would say, Guys, I want you to take on my heart. I want you to take on my passion. And together, let's partner to see lives changed. Three people come to the prayer night. Two big takeaways. Guys, I want to close this in this time of prayer. We've been doing this at the end of the service. It's important for us to give God some room to work in our hearts. So I'm going to ask the the band to play and the lights to lower I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads. As I'm going to tell you where I started uh, in this process is what I had to deal with as I was beginning to to figure out who my three were, is I found some apathy in my heart, uh, some lack lack of concern that I had to deal with and confess. And I had to say, Lord, I'm sorry that I don't always share the passion for people that you do. Guys, some of, some of us may be there today. And so as we begin to move towards Jesus in prayer, would you start there? And would you say, Lord, would you soften my heart? I confess my apathy if you have some. Lord, help me to love 
and have compassion for the world the way that you do, Jesus. You take a minute, start that conversation with Jesus this morning. Would you begin to ask Jesus to show you three people, the three people that he loves, he's jealous for? They're probably people we bump into every day. Would you ask him to bring those people to mind and maybe even write them down? would you ask today that God begin to invade their hearts and draw them to himself because he loves them just like he loves us. Let's spend a minute there with Jesus. Father, we want to say thank you for your grace on our lives, that you drew us to yourself, that you caused us to find you, that you're zealous for us. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the privilege of sharing in that jealousy for the people around us. Or that our hearts would break for the lost like me, for the broken, for the hurting, for the normal. Or you are a father to us all. Draw us into your passion. Change our hearts, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for loving us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen.